0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: Keeping a farm family tradition going.
2: It had to be a lot harder then than it is now.
1: One family story of a century plus of growing rice. Water levels are still low in the Mississippi and that means problems for barge traffic.
0: Not a whole lot of demand to bring those corn and soybeans downstream at this point.
1: Now, farmers' decisions are controlling some of the movement right now as Arkansas takes action on a new law aimed at preventing certain foreign ownership of farmland.
3: We've let these dangerous governments infiltrate our country. Arkansas will tolerate them no longer.
1: The latest on this developing story right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer. What's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Arkansas could be the first in the country to enforce a state law that bans certain foreign countries from owning ag land. The state's Attorney General is ordering a Chinese-owned company to divest itself of 160 acres of farmland owned in Craighead County, which it uses for seed research. Attorney General Tim Griffin sending a letter to Northrop King Seed Company, ordering it to divest the land in two years or the state will take legal action. Griffin also imposing a $280,000 fine on the company, he says, for not filing paperwork on time with the state secretary of agriculture. The request comes after the state legislature passed a law this year that restricts certain foreign party controlled businesses from acquiring or holding public or private land in Arkansas. Northrop is a division of Syngenta Seeds, which is owned by Kim China, also known as China National Chemical Company, which is a Chinese state-owned company.
3: Seeds are technology. Chinese state-owned corporations filter that technology back to their homeland, stealing American research and telling our enemies how to target American farms. That is a clear threat to our national security and to our great farmers.
4: There is nothing There is nothing that's off limits for them if they think that it will uh, strengthen them strategically, whether it be related to uh, engineering or the ability to feed their people, which is a challenge for them. We've had some instances and some federal prosecutions in this state that relate to seed technology. And um, so for those of you who think that this is some sort of outlier, you're wrong. In
1: response, Syngenta expressed disappointment with the decision, stating that no directives from China prompted its land acquisition back in 1988. Eleven other states, including Florida, Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, Ohio, and Utah, have all enacted or amended laws restricting certain foreign land investments in their states. Keeping you updated on another developing story, water levels along the Mississippi River. Levels this week were already below the record lows a year ago, and they are still falling. And the low levels are continuing to impact traffic, but it's not causing as many problems as last year. That's because the Army Corps of Engineers has spent the last year working on dredging and clearing channels. Plus, there's less traffic on the river, partly due to what farmers are deciding to do right now.
0: Folks are holding on to the grains and oil seeds a bit longer, and at least while there is storage available, a lot of those are not being shipped at this time.
1: Barge freight rates have also gone up as river levels have dropped, which is also impacting traffic.
0: We're coming off a, a decent year for South America, and of course they're on an opposite crop cycle. So we've got some of that, uh, the corn and soybeans from Brazil, uh, still in the pipeline, for example. And so pretty soft export market right now, not a whole lot of demand to bring those corn and soybeans downstream at this point. But at some point you
1: do run out of storage and the crops will have to come southward. Now, Rippey says barges that are running on the Mississippi are having to cut their loads by about a third to prevent the barges from scraping the river bottom. Rain is returning to the Great Lakes today while other areas could... See possible
4: record high temperatures. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has our update. Yeah, the extremes have returned to the jet stream. A deep trough uh, digging uh, across the Midwest and the plains uh, through our Thursday and Friday, uh, bringing some rain chances with it. Now, the rain uh, isn't as intense or as heavy as what we had last week. What is intense is the heat building. Back off to the West and near the four corners, quiet weather, no rain or cloud cover extending back up here up into the Pacific Northwest. Now behind this ridge, there is another trough, but we're going to have to let all of this move across the United States before we start talking about that next system. So through your Thursday into your Friday, the greatest chance of rain is going to come through the Midwest back down here into Tennessee, as well as into parts of the southeast as we get into the weekend. You see, once we start to include uh, the Atlantic, uh, the moisture from that uh, warm Atlantic Ocean, that's where rain chances really start to come up back on the East Coast and up to the northeast. It's gonna be another cloudy and wet weekend uh, for folks in New York, but also upstate New York as well. This is Friday at 10 p.m. So that trough's gonna dig and move off to the east. A ridge is gonna try to build in. I don't think we really establish the ridge until we get into Sunday and Monday of next week. When I say establish, I'm talking about this taking over two thirds of the United States.
1: Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials, the super granule that packs balanced nutrition
0: into a single granule for uniform nutrient distribution, increased nutrient uptake, and season long sulfur availability. Beating commodity fertilizers
1: every time. Supercharge your yields with the Mighty Micro from Mosaic.
4: And Johnny D is sharing this video while he says he was on a harvest date with his daughter. They're in Kansas. Uh, He says uh, "Jaslyn Faith did well with a little help from dad. And he says yields are running around 65 bushels to the acre. He adds they had a lot of rain during May and June, but the moisture shut off in July. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. More cases of bird flu are popping
1: up, this time in Oklahoma. The state reporting a confirmed case of highly pathogenic avian influenza in a mixed flock of poultry in Carter County. The virus has now been confirmed recently in seven states, including North and South Dakota, Idaho, and Montana. Experts say current fall bird migration poses risks to both commercial and small hobby flocks. Now, the cattle industry already looking ahead to USDA's next cattle on feed report due out Friday afternoon. Last month, USDA said the cattle inventory in the nation's largest feedlots was 2% below a year ago at 11.1 million head. Placements were off 5%, marketing's off 6%. Those numbers continuing to show serious inventory issues even as cattle prices remain strong. Now, this month, analysts say it's clear the breeding herd remains smaller, and that means fewer cattle available for feedlots.
0: There's mixed signals, but there's areas like we're sitting in right now, the Flint Hills of Kansas, East Texas, and so forth, where most producers would say the conditions haven't changed enough to support change. Uh, There are areas in the western part of the U.S. that are in better shape than they were a year ago, but this is a national calf market and an aggregate We have not pulled the trigger on expansion
1: yet. Tonzer says he does expect rebuilding to happen over the next couple of years. He believes if there's normal weather, producers will increase heifer retentions in 2024 and 25 with a larger herd and calf crop by the year 2026. Well, if harvest lows are in, what price targets should farmers be thinking about going forward? We'll discuss that next in analysis And later we head to Arkansas to harvest rice with a farm family celebrating more than a century in the field, today in the country. As digital agriculture has grown, many have touted the benefits of management zone mapping, but new research from the University of Illinois is casting some doubts on those benefits. The researchers conducting a multi-year study looking into weather management zone maps, based on soil conditions, topography, and other landscape features can reliably predict which parts of a cornfield will respond best to higher rates of seeding or nitrogen. What they found was that plot responses to the same inputs can vary significantly from year to year, with the most unpredictable factor being the weather. Management zone mapping utilizes field-based sensors, satellite data, and other digital tools to track how crops respond to conditions, fertilizer, and seeding rates and other inputs. The researchers say responses can vary from year to year depending on the weather effects, and that means a plot that responds well to a higher nitrogen rate one year might not do so the next time, making management zone mapping an unreliable predictor of crop responses to inputs. But they do say more information and better on site sensors and analysis tools could eventually improve the predictive ability of management zone mapping. What kind of recovery could we see in corn and soybeans after they put in their harvest lows? And what price targets should farmers be making sales? AgDays' Michelle Rook talks it over with Randy Martinson of Martinson Ag in Markets Now.
3: Welcome to Markets Now. Randy Martinson, Martinson Ag, joining us. And let's talk about uh, harvest strategies in terms of marketing. First of all, once we get soybeans past 50% harvested, we usually put in the harvest low. Is it in, and how much of a recovery do you think we anticipate we're going to see as a result.
0: I think we're if we haven't put it in and we're close to it seasonally. This is the time frame that we do put the harvest low in soybeans, so I do expect to see a little bit of a push come into that market. Uh, you know, we're also hearing some trouble with South America, and right now that's what the only thing that we can have to help really push the soybeans. We're seeing our yields come in a little bit lower, of course, we saw that in October report, and that's helping a little bit of support. But the bigger play, I think, is going to come from concerns about what's happening in South America. I think that'll help push the futures. If we can get above 13, I think guys start making sales. By the time we get 13.45, I think that might exhaust the run for soybeans.
3: Now, what about corn? Um, Obviously, we don't know if the harvest low is in there yet, but it looks like it might be. And so how much of a retracement do you think we'll see in that market?
0: You know, corn doesn't have to really see big rally right now, mainly because, you know, a 2 billion bushel ending stocks estimate is pretty daunting and something we're going to have to work through. I do think that if, you know, beans run, they'll pull corn with it to a degree. But for corn to get above $5, it's going to take a major feat. And five twenty-five would be kind of the level I would be looking at as the top and possibility for, for corn. And I would be making sales above 5 And again, I would probably clean out bins at five twenty-five. I think we could see a basis uh, move in corn as once we get to the backside of harvest and, you know, everything that's going to be put in the bins, it's going to take a little bit more to get those out. And I think that'll have to be a basis play to, to bring some of those bushels out to the end user.
3: And Randy, since it sounds like more producers stored corn versus soybeans, what percentage did they sell on these rallies?
0: You know, I guess, you know, once we start seeing a little bit of a push above those, that 13 level and that $5 level, you know, I'd start looking at selling 25% of your, what you have in inventory, and then you know sell in 25 five cent increments, 25% increments, because you know, it's going to be a fast rally, and it, I think you need to move quite a bit of the product once it happens.
3: So beyond South American weather, is there anything else that could push these markets, both corn or beans?
0: why at this point, that's going to be tough. I, I wouldn't, I don't expect that right now. I mean, we need to get some major exports going, and the only way we'll get that is to see you know them slip away from South America.
3: All right, thanks for joining us, Randy Martinson with Martinson Ag. That is Markets Now. We'll have more Ag Day coming up.
4: I wanted to paint the picture of those extremes that we just got done talking about. Then we'll look at the jet stream, show you how things are setting up. Here's a look at the precipitation estimate uh, through Saturday night where that trough is digging. You got the rain, you also have some cool temperatures and some cloud cover uh, where the ridge continues to build and establish establish itself completely dry, almost two-thirds of the United States, dry and above average in regards to the temperature. As we talked about yesterday and the day before, this pattern is going to flip as we get into next week. When that happens, starting to hone in kind of on on Sunday for that trough to move out and that ridge to move in. We'll look at that here in the jet stream in just a second. The precipitation outlook, uh, outlook will start to flip as well. So this is October 23rd through the 27th. Now, remember, we were talking about a low pressure system or trough digging on the West Coast this weekend. That's going to work across the United States during this time frame and bringing some of that wet weather into portions of the United States, staying dry or at least trying to dry out over on the East Coast. So what this looks like regarding the jet stream, almost kind of a train of troughs and ridges moving across the United States from west to east. We'll start off with Thursday There's that trough digging down to the south with the rain chances and some available moisture bringing wet weather to the northeast and this is a jet stream on Saturday. By Sunday, this ridge will start to establish itself and bring quiet weather and warmer temperatures across a large portion of the United States Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. See how, how far north Some of these lines go Uh, the next system is right out here towards the west. That is going to take shape, and that's one of the reasons why back up here, Pacific Northwest, uh, we have some cooler weather in the uh, forecast, but also some wet weather as well towards the end of the month. Franklin, North Carolina, mostly cloudy, high around 66 degrees. Uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania, cloudy, high around 66. And what about Wisconsin Eagle River? We do have some showers in the forecast for the afternoon, high of 52.
1: America's Big Four packing companies are once again the target of a lawsuit alleging price-fixing allegations. Now, The suit was filed by a group of small food distributors in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Illinois. The plaintiffs alleging starting in 2015, Cargill, JBS USA, Tyson Foods and National Beef Packing exploited their market power by conspiring to limit the supply of beef sold to purchasers in the U.S. wholesale market, resulting in higher prices paid by the plaintiffs. Now, they claim this lasted through the end of 2021. Allegations by the four small distributors are similar to other suits filed against the Big Four Packers that have led to settlements in the tens of millions of dollars and led to scrutiny by the Department of Justice and Congress. In August, antitrust claims against the Big Four by a group of ranchers were dismissed. Tyson Foods is banking on a new source of protein, Bugs. It's buying a stake in Netherlands-based ProTix BV a leading global insect ingredients company. The companies are entering into a joint venture for the operation and construction of an insect ingredient facility in the U.S. Now, once it's built, Tyson says, it will be the first at-scale facility of its kind to upcycle food manufacturing byproducts into high-quality insect proteins and lipids. They will be used primarily in pet food, aquaculture, and livestock. Agriculture has a rich history in this country. Up next, meet an Arkansas family keeping the tradition alive. The Taggart family has been farming rice for six generations in Arkansas, and the Arkansas Farm Bureau shows us this year will be the 113th rice crop their family has produced.
2: started down in, in the DeWitt area, Stuttgart area. Where they farmed down there, it must have been where uh, the experiment station is because they, they came up with a rice called Taggart rice. And uh, I asked one of the university guys, I said, why did you name it Taggart? And he said, because they called this Taggart's Corner. And so I, I, I'm assuming that's where they farmed, down in that area. Well, they came up here and bought some ground in 1933. And then you could tell they couldn't afford to move up here at that time because of the depression and everything going on. And then they moved up here in 36. I don't know if they started farming rice that year, but it was soon after that. I know they did because I know that we were the first farmers of of rice in Woodruff County. I mean, they were what shocking it. We decided, and uh, there was—I oh, bet there was about eleven of them out there with mules. And uh, I'm going to say there—it was a whole lot more physical. If you're having to actually do a lot of the work by hand, uh, I just—I just can't imagine, you know, how much harder it was then than it is now. Because I mean, we do have these great big machines that'll that'll do it. Even though when it when it goes down. It's not—it's not fun because there's—you are climbing on and off, pulling stuff out all the time. So there is still some physical work, okay? But it's—it had to be a lot harder then than it is now. Technology is really, you know, crazy and stuff. Uh, you know, with the jeep—I mean, with the auto steer and all that. We have his dad. He's a. He's seventy-two, he, and he's he's still out here with us. Yeah, and uh, he was definitely one that said he did not like auto steer, and now he gets mad when it doesn't work. He okay, does. so. he, he gets very upset when this doesn't work. Yeah, so yeah. so it, it's a lot of this technology is really spoiled us. I thought we'd been farming for about a hundred years, and I think I'm I'm saying about 2010, and so they raised this. Uh, they my, had this taggart rice come out, and I, so I got me and my brother and my and my father. We got in a picture. We raised some taggart rice. I had found some foundation seed and planted it. And I said, we got to get our picture made because this is number 100. It's pressure. Yeah. It's pressure, honestly. It
0: is. I think I, mean, I think a lot of it is no pressure. Yeah.
2: Just,
4: yeah. You don't want to be the generation that it stops at. Yeah.
2: Right. I think that's a lot of it. Is there is a lot of pressure in, in knowing that you're that, that generation. In the early uh, 1900s, the Taggarts were doing rice production. And uh, we're still doing it today. <laughs>
1: Our thanks to the Arkansas Farm Bureau for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tune in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day on Farm Country.